Hello, everybody. I'm Michael Racanelli. And I'm Tony Estes. And this is Red All Over for the week ending September 23rd, 2017. Welcome back again. I think we have some uh, really interesting stories on tap this week, right, Mike? So, this week I'm going to try to keep it a little bit light. We're going to have, well, I'm going to have some lighthearted stories. All uh, right. And some positive news. <laughs> you know I'm keeping it heavy. Yeah, I'm sure you are. <laughs> but, uh, you know, in, in 2017, it's, it's definitely just a constant barrage of total insanity. And we'll get to that. Don't right. worry. I'm going to do something a little bit different this week. Okay. Uh, We'll each have two stories, and then at the end, we're going to riff on a a very important story that's happening this week um, that started uh, on Saturday. Right. So, I will uh, kick it off here. So, I was reading the BBC.com with the headline that stuck out to me, New Antibody Attacks 99% of HIV Strains. Wow. Mr. James Gallagher. Uh, so apparently scientists have engineered an antibody that attacks 99% of HIV strains and can prevent infection in primates. So unfortunately, they've been testing on uh, chimps, but, you know. Right. It's, Collateral damage being the guinea pig. Yeah, I mean, I, I love animals and, and, and you know, I, I wouldn't be testing animals, but. This testing is, animals or testing humans. We right. have tested gonna, humans before. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, so the work is a collaboration between the U.S. National Institutes of Health and the pharmaceutical company Sanofi. Okay. Um, so our bodies struggle to fight the HIV virus because it replicates and it mutates and changes its appearance. So the body can't quite figure out what the hell is going on. Right. Um, and by that time, it's already changed and mutated again. And, and it's a very adaptable virus. Um, so there's a variety, a large variety of HIV strains, and in a single a single patient, um, it can be comparable to the strains of influenza virus. Like, right. It, you know, and and the common, obviously, you know, flu is a huge problem. There's no specific cure for the flu because of that reason. It, right. it, it replicates and mutates and to a million different ways in different situations. So researchers have been trying to use broadly neutralizing antibodies to treat. Uh, HIV and prevent infections, but these new these new antibodies um, they combine three different neutralizing antibodies into a more powerful tri-specific antibody. The development of an AIDS vaccine has been difficult because of viral genetic diversity. It's really hard to create uh, a set of you know or an antibody that will fight AIDS because of the it's a very complicated disease. Right. So when they then decided to combine multiple antibodies into this tri-specific antibody, it allows a single molecule to interact with three independent HIV-1 strains. It's basically just taking a wide variety of antibodies, right, combining them all and then that's that's replicating and mutating and sort of fighting the virus that way. Where is this molecule from specifically, or did they give it a name? A lot of people will develop um, a natural antibody to HIV. Right. 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 As the body tries to fight it, and and the body adjusts just that HIV is much better at doing it. So the virus replicates and mutates. Right. Um, so they've, they've taken healthy antibodies, people that develop these things or are immune to AIDS, because there are people that are immune to AIDS, and combine these into one tri-specific antibody, is right. what they call it. They say that the best naturally occurring antibodies, so these are the best of the best, will target 90% of HIV strains. What they've created targets 99%. That's crazy. Right. Wow. Exactly. Obviously, like I said, terribly, they're experimenting on chimps. I guess this is the, you know, the price of medicine. And right. They're going to start doing uh, human trials in 2018. Wow, that soon. So yeah, they've, they've accelerated this uh, quickly. How long have they uh, been at this current course of uh, investigation or you know, just testing with uh, chimps? How you, long has that you know, been I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. Um, they didn't say specifically in the article. It's Harvard, the Scripps Research Institute, and MIT okay. that have been working on this together. All right. 
The only reason I ask about that, because if they're uh, graduating to testing on humans by 2018, typically the FDA is really slow with green lighting, that kind of transition to testing with humans. So it sounds like they may have been at this for quite a while now. I'm imagining so. It's, I mean, it doesn't sound like um, a very easy concept to come up with and then apply and create. Right, right. I think over the years, the the specter of AIDS and what it once was, I remember when it first came out back in the uh, the mid, wait, uh, the mid-80s when uh, I first started hearing about it. It was like an instant death sentence. Right. I remember back in the 90s when Magic announced that he had HIV. Right. Everybody just knew poor Magic would be dead in a couple of years. It was just, that's what it was. It was a death sentence. And here he is some close to 30 years later, uh, still thriving, it seems. And now hearing about this, I mean, 99% success ratio, that's incredibly impressive. Yeah, I mean, they have have us at the point now where HIV is a extremely manageable disease as long as you're you're taking your drugs right um it doesn't really ever necessarily progress to aids and you can live a relatively normal life at this point that's incredible just saying that is incredible right right exactly um so hopefully there will be a a full cure uh sometime in the in the very near future because we've come a long way with a lot of things that would be amazing that (laughs) wow if they could just sort of uh get this close with cancer, I think we'll be in really good shape. Right. Well, hey. But that's a whole other <laughs> tricky situation. Well, hopefully uh, Joe Biden is successful in his yeah. uh, campaign and doing that. Yeah. Yes. You know, hats off to scientists all around the world fighting these scourges. But uh, just staying on topic with regards to HIV, I'm very encouraged hearing that. I think that's, that's great. I think they're a massive uh, society that you know, would definitely benefit from that. Absolutely. Not just, not just here at home, obviously Africa. Oh, wow. Right. I mean, this is, this could have a South America. Yeah, absolutely. This has a huge potential to, to change the world. Jonas Salk, uh, fighting polio. Right. You know, that's that magnitude. Exactly. Exactly. All right. My article is from, uh, Bloomberg technology. And the, uh, the title of the article is A Storms Never Destroyed a Grid Like Maria Ruined Puerto Rico's. And that was written by Noreen S. Malik and Jonathan Levin. Lots of things come into play in my mind regarding this story. Where I am personally right now and my journey with sustainable energies. When I saw that headline, the thing that really jumped out for me is that it's sad and that given our technologies with sustainable energy now, specifically with solar energy, with backup batteries that are now able to store this energy from the sun or mm-hmm. from anywhere. Backup batteries could be utilized with energy, any energy source and uh, cleanly are able to keep homes going, make homes self-powered, but especially using like solar energy. You can use traditional power to uh, to charge these batteries, but if those traditional power sources are taken down, like you know Maria ruined Puerto Rico's grid, mm-hmm. then that battery life is very it's it's a short lived uh, run. But if you have a sustainable energy source from like like the sun, like once the storm's over, the storm like goes through in a day, two days, whatever. When the sun comes back out, then those batteries automatically recharge. So let's talk about Puerto Rico's ruined infrastructure. According to the article, it says parts of the island will be without power for weeks, if not months. Yeah. Can you imagine that? I can't. Months without your electricity. And it says uh, utility crews, they're going to restore uh, critical resources first. Uh, We're talking critical resources such as hospitals, their water infrastructure, and also the airports. As a matter of fact, in the days after uh, Maria ruined Puerto Rico, uh, when it hit Puerto Rico, 
the airport closed down. Yeah. And the only planes that ended up being able in the aftermath to land there were military planes. Right. And they had to rely on their own uh, their own sat radar systems. I'm sorry. There's no federal agency right now that's willing to go out on a limb and estimate how long it's going to take to re-energize Puerto Rico. Now, Puerto Rico's infrastructure, like their, their grid is maintained by PREPA. And PREPA is currently operating under court mandate protecting them from creditors because right now they're $8 billion in debt. Wow. And their grid was already terrible in terrible condition. Being $8 billion in debt, where is that money going? It's government run. PREPA is government run. And um, so, yeah, right away you have to think had $8 billion in debt, and the infrastructure was terrible anyway. Their utility plants, their their substations, their lines were not in good repair. And for some reason, it, it's interesting. These plants were all clustered on the south coast of uh, Puerto Rico mm-hmm. in a hard-to-reach area, and this area was unprotected. So the storm, like it, it was really susceptible to the uh, storm. Knowing what I know about power companies, and even in America, people need to be aware that we are a lot more susceptible to a natural disaster or any other kind of disaster with regards to our grid. Right. It's, it's ridiculous. There's a small amount of power plants and substations that, if we're hit by some kind of disaster, would completely wipe out electricity in our country. That's lovely. <laughs> it's not a massive amount. And they won't say which specific substations, thankfully, well, that if, the, if they get hit, that could take us out, right. take us out on power. And most of our power is dirty energy anyway, coming from these utilities. You have main sources. I know in California, the, the main source of power is natural gas for us. Right. So you have natural gas as an alternative. You have power generated by coal. Nobody wants that, I hope. Natural gas isn't good either because of fracking. Especially when we just had that huge, what was in Porter Ranch. Ranch. Porter Ranch leak. Oh, my God. Can you imagine living near there and all this gas is leaking? No, it's disgusting. And and then you have nuclear power. It's clean, but how dangerous is that? Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's extraordinarily dangerous. And I, I talk to people all the time about sustainable energy, about solar panels and and people are so resistant to the idea. And I hear people flippantly saying, you know, that you know, it doesn't matter about the environment. But let's take it out of the environment. Let, let's talk about what's happening, what we've seen happen in Puerto Rico with uh, Hurricane Maria and destroying the grid. And how unnecessary that is to kind of go through something like that or open yourself up to the susceptibility of something like that. And you really don't have to to do it. People are scared of change. But in Puerto Rico, there's a whole nother dynamic because when I, I talk about maybe solar energy and backup batteries, for most people, they're, they're thinking cost prohibitiveness of it. But why not have the grid be mainly run by panels and batteries? To me, it seems like a no-brainer as far as uh, energy independence goes. Right. We have a giant power source in the sky. <laughs> I mean... Right. If everybody was working on competing solar panel technology and producing solar panels, they're going to they're going to get cheap. Right. You know what I mean? Absolutely. But I'm assuming that has something to do with the um, oil company <laughs> sidelining things and the government. obviously right. Feeding the beast. For right. Sure. You know, and just the the cost of perpetuating these infrastructures and obviously Puerto Rico's has been failing miserably. But the cost of that, like. It's always, to me, shifting the money. Because what most people don't realize is when you're using energy from, from the grid, most of your costs from the grid are transporting the energy to you. Most people take the time to look at their energy bills and kind of dissect their energy bills. They'll see the price for producing the electricity for you is nominal compared to getting the electricity to you. Because the infrastructure of the uh, grid, they have towers, lines, power lines, transformers, substations they have to pay for in the first place to get them up. 
and they have to pay money to maintain. They pay billions of dollars every year to maintain these things. And, and they pass the cost on to you and your electric bill. Most people don't look at it. They just say, okay, they see this big number. They're pissed at it. They write their check. Right. <laughs> Which I'm about to do, I think, at the end of this month. Right. And just kind of feel like, okay, well, that's what I'm stuck with. Right. But most of that power comes from getting the power to you. But there is also a, a big amount of power generating. I, I, I don't know what Puerto Rico's source material for generating their electricity is. I don't know if they're using natural gas, if they're using coal. I, I don't know that. I apologize for not knowing that. I should. It becomes this massive cost in generating the electricity and then an even greater cost in transporting. But if we could have the electricity generated in a clean way, a way that's going to be sustainable, self-perpetuating, and having these backup batteries. Because they're, as a matter of fact, the island of Guam, they used to have, uh, they'd use generators and they used coal to, uh, to start those generators for their electricity. And they've actually converted to to these batteries, you know, batteries in a solar setup to power that whole island. That could happen for Puerto Rico. It, they did it for Guam. There is an island in Hawaii, one of the islands, I, the name escapes me right now, but that's powered by uh, solar and batteries, backup batteries. So it's not like this is something that's new or, you know, that hasn't been proven to be working for other island nations. So this could certainly be a solution for uh, Puerto Rico. It looks like um, the majority, the overwhelming majority of their electricity comes from petroleum, natural gas and coal. And then about 20 percent of it or less comes from um, renewable sources wow so so 80 percent dirty energy yeah unreliable right think about getting that natural gas and the coal to them right that can't even come to them during a uh, storm right because it's in the middle of an ocean right it's a large large ocean <laughs> right and and there's as no- we heard from uh, the press conference <laughs> That it's a large, large ocean. It's surrounded by ocean. Did you not know that? <laughs> Ooh, what, what rocket scientists figured that out. Right, right. <laughs> but yeah, I, I just think looking at that story, it hurts me just knowing that that doesn't have to be perpetuated. It doesn't have to continue. I mean, it's right. happened now, but... hopefully, I mean, hopefully they'll be able to rebuild and upgrade. The, I mean, it's just going to take so long. I, I've been seeing videos and pictures of Puerto Rico, and it's just... It's terrible. Like it looks like nuclear war. Right, it, is. it looks absolutely insane, and there's very little that people can do, you know, to help right now. It's just sort of over- overwhelming, really. Right. Um, there, I saw a video of a thousand Americans stranded at the airport. Right. Um, no power there. Has many power. No air conditioning. People are fanning themselves with cardboard. There was. Uh, I was reading another piece talking to a woman whose mom is in her late 70s, has diabetes, now has an open sore on her back. They have no electricity to keep her insulin refrigerated. Um, you know, there's there's rain getting in, there's flies because the windows broke. Right. She's fanning her mom with a piece of cardboard. Like, it's just, it's insane. It's it terrible. really is. And, and you'd have to think also, like, their fresh water supply is running out. Right. Right. And there's just all this dirt, same thing, dirty water just splitting through these villages of the roads fell apart and cracked and there's just water running through it. And Mother Nature definitely can wreak havoc. But there are certain things that we could do changing your infrastructure, really. And yeah, that, that costs a lot. And they're already operating, like I said, at eight billion dollars in debt. It's, it's a sad thing to watch. And I was just in Puerto Rico back in uh, December of 2015. Had a good time there and a, a lot of like watching on the news. They were reporting from like right where I was staying and I'm sitting there looking at that stuff and I have friends in Puerto Rico. It's I, I hurt for them. It's it's terrible. It really is. And I, like going without power for that long, that's a scary, scary scenario. Especially when no one was really prepared for it. Right. I don't think anyone saw that coming there's 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 a little bit of warning but what are you really going to do when 
again, like you said, you're operating an $8 billion loss and can't even, there's just no time to prepare in a way. Yeah, I, I think the rebound from this, hopefully there'll be uh, some forward thinking corporate <laughs> partners that'll yeah. try to go in and try to help the situation. In the long run, it'll be monetarily beneficial for them. Are there charities that provide sustainable energy to there actually are. Because that seems like there are a lot of small villages in, right. in Puerto Rico. And I think having something like that, having um, them set up with solar, since they, I'm assuming they use uh, only a little energy as well. It's not an overwhelming energy draw. Right. So for them, you know, to have energy independence or self-reliance probably be the, the best get for. Right. And you're absolutely right. There are charities that uh, do that. They help villages in Africa and in a lot of third world countries. They help uh, people get off the grid and establish like solar energy. Right. And uh, yeah, so I think a good cross section of like corporate partnerships, working with charities, working with local governments, all that together, we could... uh, could help Puerto Rico and countries like that, or, you know, get themselves better situated in the future for anything like that, preparing for natural disasters. So. Let's hope that uh, everyone's going to come out of this okay. And I know there's uh, a lot of charities to donate to. I'm not sure who's. Um, I know people have been talking about the Red Cross. Obviously, is a, is a pretty good charity to donate to. Um, so hopefully, we can uh, we can open our our hearts and our wallets and uh, help the people out. Right. Absolutely. I think that's actually very smart. And hopefully people do look at expanding their charitable contributions to not just the standard. You think right. of the biggest charities. Yeah. Think outside the box a little yeah. bit. Yeah. I mean, it was a lot easier for people with um, the hurricanes that we had uh, here in the States to to drive down to Houston or drive down to Florida and get everybody around up. But I mean, again to get people down to Puerto Rico right now when there's not even flights going in and out right. or, or how do you, how do you even organize that? Or what are you going to do when you don't have the resources around you to bring in? Right. It's just, it's so hard. It's not like you can, you know, load up a truck in California and drive to Houston and then go back to California and get more supplies and, and so on and so forth. Like there's just no way to, to do it. Right. The ways in that's, that's actually a great point. Right. Moving on to my second story for today, I'm gonna I'm gonna lighten things up a little bit. All right, <laughs> because I feel like we need it. So, I was reading an article in the New York Daily News, and I saw this headline: North Korea owes New York thousands in unpaid parking tickets. By Brian Lisi. <laughs> yes. Okay, that's the real so, reason Trump knows about this New York situation in yeah. North Korea. That's why he wants to bomb him into oblivion. That's right, that's <laughs> right, yeah. So apparently, um, NBC New York was reporting that um, vehicles with the country's diplomatic mission in the United Nations have accrued over 1,300 unpaid parking tickets. That sounds like my first year in L.A. Hmm. Tell me about it. <laughs> so these are, these are dating back to around the time of Giuliani. And uh, the total amount owed in New York City is now over $156,000. Because, <laughs> you know, they double every right. 21 days. Tell me about it. Unfortunately, should, I do know that. I'm surprised they didn't try to fight any of them. <laughs> right. um, and then their spokesperson said that it's not true. It is false. Uh, whenever we have a ticket, we pay. Because, you know, if we have three tickets, the city does not allow us to, re- to renew their permission. So I basically mean his registration. Okay. Um, According to a 2002 memorandum uh, between the city and the U.S. State Department, local officials can deny a diplomatic parking decal vehicle racks up three or more tickets. But most of North Korea's tickets were issued before 2002. Oh, wow. So these tickets are old. Right. Of course the city, you know, I bet, I bet if they ask for the actual tickets, to see the actual tickets, they'd be like, oh, they're in the warehouse somewhere. We can't get to them. Right. You know, but you guys owe that money. <laughs> I've been through that before in Chicago. But shouldn't there be a statute of limitations for you those tickets too? Like, you I think mean, there would be. But they're not typically. But, no, yeah, absolutely That's kind of crazy. So it's not just North Korea, though. They threw in that um, China owes nearly $400,000 in parking charges. Syria owes $362,000. Iran owes $184,000. And sweet, sweet Russia owes 104000 
Wow. Maybe Trump will take care of those for them. <laughs> He'll pick up the tab. Right. That's that's pretty amazing. The uh, the amount of revenue that the city it sounds like they probably right. will never even collect. Right. Right. But other, you let it be a New York citizen, they'll collect from oh, them. They'll, they'll get it. Absolutely. They'll get your car. It's, it's kind of almost insane how much these tickets can accrue to be. And they put it on the books as income because they're, you know, they're counting it. Oh, we, we've, we've taken in $400,000 this year. But, but they never get that money. But they money. never actually get that money. And then you start running into a point of deficit. That is so, so interesting to me, yeah. that whole diplomatic immunity kind of thing happening, it seems. The like. interesting part about it to me is that there, there is a, a back and forth between Trump and Kim Jong-un right. about nuclear war. Right. Yet, New York is like, hey, they're still sending letters. Hey, you guys owe us some money from parking tickets. <laughs> if you could just pay those parking tickets... This has nothing to do with nuclear war. Right. But you still owe us these parking tickets, so if you could just pay. And then 30 days later, they'll probably get another notice. There is a tremendous amount of absurdity in that. It just, just that The thought. world just continues going on. New York still needs their parking ticket money. That's right. And Trump's still going to tweet and threaten to annihilate the entire country. Right. Which then would cause New York to lose out on all of the money that they're owed. Donald... Don't do it until they pay their tickets. That's right. We need that parking ticket money. So that's what I have. So that's what I have there right. for yeah, that, for that another a little lighthearted story. To, that is that's it's tremendous. I, I liked it, but I'm torn here. You're torn. I prepared three stories. Okay, We're whittling it down to two. Do I want to go heavy? Do I want to go light? Because I had a fluff Let's, piece. Let's go. Let's go light. Okay. Uh, let's go light. solely because we're gonna we're gonna get deep into the the third story All right, let's together do it. and, and it's going to be relatively heavy I feel okay so then my uh, second story the uh, the title is before Tesla why everyone wanted an electric car in 1905 subtitle what's old is new again and the article is written by Megan Barber I found this intriguing this article first of all starts out with uh this blank type of um, paragraph talking about these electric cars that cost seven times more than a normal car, a normal Ford, with rich socialites driving these cars and, you know, the envious public like in the car next to them or pedestrians looking at them and wanting these electric cars. And then they say, well, no, this is not 2013 we're talking about. We're talking about 1905. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to believe that something like that even existed in... Electric cars, right? Right. Yeah. They thought ahead and then just decided to go backwards. Yeah, you know, it's actually interesting. The uh, first electric car, uh, the first successful electric car was created or released in 1890. Wow. And it came from a chemist in Iowa. Wow. Right. Who would have thought? And these cars just rose to like this very high popularity. They had a lot of advantages over gasoline power cars. You remember back in the day they, they had to do. they had to they had to crank the car like you had to right. walk to the front of the car and crank it to start it. Electric cars didn't have a crank. Right. You didn't have to worry about that. The fuel, you know, technology back then, I'm, I'm sure gasoline-powered cars, the exhausts weren't as advanced as we have now. I and, don't believe they um, had catalytic converters. Right, <laughs> exactly. So people would smell like gasoline driving gas-powered cars, Right. those that had them. I think still at that point in time, you still have more buggies on the road than you had right. cars. But there was an interesting statistic I saw there. Like by 1900, now this will blow you away. It blew me away, I think. By 1900, New York City had a fleet of electric taxis. Wow. <laughs> That's insane. And they said the electric cars accounted for one third of all the vehicles on the road. That's crazy. Not of all the cars, all the vehicles. So electric cars were enormously popular in 1900. That's crazy. Isn't that yeah. so crazy? 
and being easier to operate because they didn't have to crank them up. Right. You know, they they were extremely popular with upper class women. Okay. Well, upper class women like Teslas now too, right? <laughs> <laughs> what what did something like this cost? Did okay. they say they did say that they okay. said they uh, they actually cost roughly seven times more again wow. than a normal Ford. In the article, they did say they gave a specific price in nineteen. Let's. It was like seventeen hundred bucks, if I remember correctly, in like nineteen thirteen. So what is that adjusted for inflation? Uh, <laughs> and you said nineteen thirteen. Yeah, nine. Yeah, nineteen thirteen. So seventeen hundred dollars in nineteen thirteen was forty two thousand five hundred. Wow, that's actually cheaper than a Tesla. Well, actually, 1908. Here we go. Oh, no, 1912. Okay, so it says, by 1912, a gasoline car costs only $650. Okay. Well, the... Uh, so that was... Yeah, the difference between that is at $16,284. Okay. And the average... Versus 46000 so... Gotcha. The average electric roadster, $1,750. Yeah. So. so essentially, it's not really much different... From today, right? <laughs> There's just a huge, right? I mean, it's the difference between my my Honda and then buying a Tesla, right? There you go. Which I would love to have a Tesla. Well, they're making it more accessible for you. They're getting there. Yeah, they're they're going to um, that thirty thousand dollar. Right. I need to get a Tesla at about seventeen, <laughs> sixteen. That's where we need to be. Yeah, you hear that, Elon? <laughs> hey, there you go. Exactly. That's really going to just kick it off at that point. Oh, man. Everybody will be electric. Yeah. I wouldn't mean, that be amazing? It wouldn't hurt our uh, I, You know, the one the one thing about, um, I mean, yeah, there's there's congestion and, and whatnot. But the one, one thing about California is the air. Like we have, in LA, we have the worst air in the country. Right. Even though it's significantly better than it had been, a lot, a lot better. I remember growing up back in the 70s, watching like different TV shows and like LA's like smog was always a point of contention or a punchline yeah. or, you know. Yeah, in the late 70s they and early 80s, they really started to, to clamp down on that. And we have the strictest air laws in the country. Right. Um, and yeah, it's, it's great, but it could be, it could be a lot better. I mean, we, California has the most electric cars on the road in the entire country. So if they can get something down like that, I mean, that, that the barrier to entry of course is, is the price. Right. And then it's, most of us live in apartments. Right. Um, and it's really hard. Like, you know, I can't just put in a, a, a what is a 240 volt, uh, quick charger. Right. Um, you know, I have nowhere to put it, especially in your apartment. Yeah, exactly. So if, if it becomes a thing where they start, um, providing incentives to building owners or mandating thing, at least having like one 240 outlet somewhere to charge electric cars. Right. I mean, there are a lot of, uh, newer developed, uh, apartment buildings, especially luxury apartment buildings. They do have that. They have right. And that's, that's a nice feature to have. Absolutely. These electric cars, like, definitely would be very beneficial. But you you mentioned in California we have the uh, largest amount of electric vehicles. It was funny. I was talking to a friend who uh, is from upstate New York. That friend was back visiting a home a couple of months ago and saw a Tesla and pointed it out to a friend that was in upstate New York. Like, oh, my God, there's a Tesla. I love those cars. And... Her friend did not even know what a Tesla was. Like, wow. had no idea. <laughs> That's crazy. Right, it is, right? So I was thinking about that. Like, how many people in middle America aren't even familiar with what a Tesla is, have right. no idea, you know? Right. Like, L.A. has always been kind of a mecca for exotic cars and high-end, whatever. Yeah. I, I remember when uh, my son was... 12 years old, 12 or 13, coming out to visit L.A. and just being enamored by all these high-end cars that he would never see in Milwaukee where he was from. Sure. There's, I mean, I think the other part of that equation is that 
being out west this way and then out east you have Detroit and you have Chrysler Ford and that's a great point Chevrolet the stronghold and, and of the big three exactly they're clamping down on right. the amount of dealerships and, and whatnot. I mean I've noticed going back home to Chicago in the past couple of years that there are a lot of people um, that drive Teslas right they're becoming more prominent for sure and I know they have electric uh, special like electric license plates that start with EL right for the electric cars did you know actually Mercedes just made an announcement a few days ago. They're uh, pumping a billion dollars into yeah. uh, trying to take on Tesla. Supposedly, BMW is going to have an all, have all electric cars by 2022. Completely their entire... That's what they said. Elon Musk is trying to... You know, he has the idea of like, there's Tesla super stations up and down California. Right. The idea of like, you drive in and it just replaces the whole battery under your car. That That would be amazing. Just doing that's, that, yeah, it's a precharged battery exactly. just popping. That's it in. really the that's really the the answer, I think. Imagine, but that. then having that infrastructure put in place across the entire country is where the problem comes in. Because right. the same thing obviously happened when we had to put in gas stations, and then they had true. to set up fuel. This is very and whatever, true. But that's how this country works. When you yeah. do something for so long, you continue doing it, and then you put up a fight. Right. Um, I don't want to change that. That's how we've always done it. But that doesn't mean it's right or good. You. You know, this is a better idea. A lot of people around here, and this is a huge pet peeve of mine, people have a lot, of, there's a lot of SUVs in right. LA, right? I saw a guy um, and, I don't know, maybe his girlfriend today, on Sunset for an hour in the car with the car running, arguing. And so in that hour, they didn't actually accomplish anything, but now have put an hour's worth of emissions into the into the air for us to breathe. Why did you watch them arguing for an hour? I didn't I watch them. I, I kept passing by. I was <laughs> passing by um, a couple of times over the hour. And right. they were just still on sunset. And I was like, wow, that car is still there. Because there was, it was actually no parking from uh, four to seven. And they were just there that entire time. Right. Um, however, um, you know, my, my retort is always, you know, people act almost offended if, if you bring that up, if you bring that up, you know, I, I, I have mentioned to people before that are just sitting in their car texting. I was like, Hey, we have a smog problem and they almost seem offended. And, but I'm like, if it's such a bother, would you get out and why don't you get out and put your mouth in the tailpipe and why don't you just breathe it? If it's not such a big deal, because we're all breathing it. I yeah, mean, you're absolutely right. I don't, I don't want that person to die. I'm just saying, <laughs> making a point, I'm making a point. If it's, right. if it doesn't matter, then why don't you just breathe it? Right. Like, why am I breathing it? Why is everybody else breathing? And you're sitting in your car texting or Instagramming. Right. Just turn the car off. If it's hot, get out of the car. I understand if you have an animal or a handicapped person right. in the car. Um, absolutely. By all means, leave the AC on. But if you're an able-bodied person who's just sitting and Instagramming, get out of the car and do it. Right. We don't need... If everybody could just shut their car off for 15 extra minutes between the millions of cars that are in LA, that's going to make a huge impact. There's this feeling from people. And I, I talk, again, I talk about sustainables to people all the time. And there's this sense of what difference does it make if I don't do something, you know, like well, it's, if I do it, it's not going to change because a million other people are going to be doing it. That's, that's the thought process that they have. I think the opposite of it is too, is if I just do it for one minute, it's not going to make a big deal. Right. To exactly. Person. But there's also a million other people with that same thought. Exactly. So now you have... A million extra minutes. Of so how do we perpetuate groupthink on this groupthink that, you know, or to get people more aware and to feel like they're empowered if they make that decision that other people make that same decision to uh, change for the better? There's there's been no marketing campaigns. I, you know, I've I've wanted to pitch the idea. Um, I should probably go to a town meeting. Go to like the Hollywood City Hall. All right. Um, Canada has anti-idle laws, so you can't be sitting for more than I think two minutes idling the car. Wow. And they're in this city with however you know however many drivers there are in this city, SUVs, black cars, always waiting to shuttle so and so here and so and so there. All the award shows, there's like a hundred SUVs lined up. That right. These drivers are just sitting there idling, just waiting for the show to be over. Those are all times when we can just shut that stuff off. 
True. You know what I mean? Like, let's be realistic. Like you can get out, take a walk. It's good for you. You shouldn't be sitting there the whole time anyway. (laughs) Get some water. Right. You know what I mean? The car is going to cool down within the next like two minutes of you being in it. (laughs) It's not like it takes an hour to get the car to cool down. Right. And there could be some sort of, you know, incentive for people to catch people doing that too. Like an app that, you know, you just take a picture or film somebody idling their car. Public shaming. Public shaming. <laughs> or you know, there's or a, even to have it, are you suggesting that you know, this app, like, they get gets these people and, a ticket? Yeah. And then okay. you get, you get uh, I don't know how they would do it to necessarily prove it. I mean, a, a two-minute video, I guess. Just overreaching boundaries here. <laughs> but All I right, just big don't brother. Feel, <laughs> I think I think there are certain things that, again, we have to do for the good of everybody and air is one of them we all breathe the same air regardless of how rich or poor you are right so there are steps that we're taking there are large steps but little things like idling just shut it off like why are there no marketing campaigns that are like just shut it off right right? just shut it off boom there's your slogan just Just get that just shut it off right Our modern day Nancy Reagan. Right? That's my that's my crusade. Just clean the air, you know? Yeah. It's just it's it's sad. Some days when I go up, you know, when it's really hot and I'll go up maybe to run in or something and look out and you see you see a blanket of smog. Obviously we have an issue because of our salty air as well. Right. Which then holds and holds the smog. But Yeah. Yeah, we definitely have that marine layer that we have to contend with. But it's interesting just Night before last, I was with a friend and he looked up and remarked, Wow, I actually see stars. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, rained, a rare it rained the other day and it was really windy and it's uh yeah, it can be it can be quite clear. You can right. see you know, I mean, Santa Monica's eleven miles away from me, and if I go to the top of Runyon, I can typically see the ocean right. unless it's a really bad smog day or right, haze and it's right, just right. you can't really see more than maybe five miles and it's sad because california is such a beautiful place and if the air was completely clean it would be unstoppable right you know like i was in northern california several years ago i was in napa valley mm-hmm. and i remember being out one night and looking at the sky and seeing how many stars you forget about you forget how many stars are in the sky. Yeah, know? I mean, I you know when I used to I used to do the touring and and with the music and all that stuff, <laughs> driving around the middle of the country, you pull over at three a.m. in Wyoming, it's right. just obscene. Like yeah. it's it's over it's overwhelming how many stars you, and you feel completely overwhelmed by how many stars are in the sky. Right, trying to have that conversation with some kid who was born and raised in Los Angeles and hasn't really gone out anywhere. Right. Even in Chicago, there's a lot of light pollution. Right. So for our third story for today, I thought I would um, bring up the ongoing situation with the NFL. And (laughs) you are a black man. You served in the military. Um, You know, both my father... And grandfather served in the military. Right. Uh, my dad's buried in a national cemetery. My grandfather was shot in the hip and has oh. a purple heart. I don't watch much football. Okay. I watch some. But this whole thing is not necessarily about football. And it has nothing to do with disrespecting the armed forces. It's amazing how that argument has shifted and have how that has been misdirected towards that. And it is definitely a misdirection. And in case someone's been living under a rock for the last week or so, um, this all began obviously months and months ago, back in the Obama last administration, year, actually, actually uh, with Colin Kaepernick taking a knee during the national anthem, which he is well within his rights to do so. And, Donald Trump has decided to make it about him and wanted to rile up a crowd at a random rally in Alabama, of all places, <laughs> and decided to say, get that son of a bitch off the field. Right. So 
that kind of set everything off and set everything in motion. The the collective black athlete that that has decided to take a knee, he said that. Get that son of a bitch. Right. Oh boy. <laughs> so how do how do you feel having served in the armed forces and also obviously being a black man in America? Right. How do you feel about I think I I know how you feel, but absolutely. Okay. But but let me state it. Sure. Let me go on record how I feel. Mm-hmm. I remember I my first debate about this really happened on a Facebook post <laughs> last where, year. Where all good things come from. Exactly. <laughs> my dad served in the Navy. He served back during Vietnam. And my dad passed away when I was young. I was six years old right. when my dad passed away. So just randomly, just... I, I put my dad's gravesite up on my, my, what is it? Not the profile picture, but the uh, the other picture. The header. The, the, yeah, that that okay. one on Facebook. <laughs> and this guy I went to high school with. You know, first he started commenting, "Wow, I didn't know your dad had served. I'm sorry." You know, and that's why I'm so pissed off when Colin Kaepernick won't there stand up to honor the flag. And, you know, how do you feel about it? Well, you ask me how I feel. I feel it's his right to not do that. And that's not what his protest is about. His protest is about protecting innocent lives being killed by cops and these cops getting away with it. And you you joined the military willingly. Right. You weren't drafted. Right. You you went to do this for us. Right. Well, for these, it's 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 interesting. I think my situation and joining the military was driven by what I think a lot of people that the military is comprised more so now, especially in the enlisted ranks, by mainly people that come from uh, not great financial circumstances. Right. They recruit heavily in areas that are impoverished because it offers these people a way out into, you know, a, a better lifestyle, getting them out of the ghettos, getting them out of wherever, whatever impoverished background they have. And traditionally, that happens more so in in darker communities and Latin communities and black communities. Right. You know, but it's not limited to that. Again, you have people rural white America. That has a large representation inside in the in the military and the armed services. So ultimately, most people I think are serving out of necessity to try to better themselves economically. Right. I remember when I went in, it was just a matter. I just kept seeing this GI Bill. I wanted right. money for college. Right. So that, and I, you know, I wanted a better job. I had been working like in retail sales prior to joining the military, and I. I wanted to go back to school. I wanted to go back to school. I didn't want retail sales to be my career. And I joined the Army. It was really an economic decision for me, more so than anything else. Now, was I patriotic? Absolutely. And you still are. And it, Right, exactly. Anything that I've ever, like, the things I've loved most in this world are here in America. Right. So being here in America, regardless of how my ancestors have gotten here, we're part of America. We help develop it. We help build it. We've served in its military for years and years. So yes, will I fight for America? Absolutely. Because my mama is in America. My children are in America. Like Everything, the nearest and dearest things to my heart are in America and are from America, you know. We, by default, are American. So, yes, I'm patriotic. I also believe in the ideology of freedom of speech, freedom of expression. I believe in the promise of America, not in its delivery, but in its promise. Because being a black man in America, I've always been very cognizant of America's lack of delivery. It's innate, not... You know, it promises that every all men are created equal. It says that, you know, but it hasn't always treated all men as equal. It hasn't treated women as equal. It's been very exclusive instead of inclusive to that American dream 
that it promises, but it has made efforts to go towards being more inclusive. And, you know, people people have to fight for that, have to fight to make America live up to its promise. And I think that's what we're seeing with Colin Kaepernick. That's what we're seeing now with more NFL players and now some Major League Baseball players and some NBA players. We're, we're starting to see more people saying America include us, recognize our humanity, let there be repercussions to murders, treat them like murders, stop giving people passes. That's, that's what we're seeing. And that's why I'm happy to have served for that freedom, for people to express that. Historically, never has mainstream white America, if you, if you look at the polls, like when back in 1950 and back in the late 50s with the uh, Montgomery boycott of the, the bus system, if you took a poll, I think it was somewhere 65 to 70 percent of the people would say they disagreed with the protests. You know, historically, there's never been the right way for a black person to protest being treated badly in America. And And that, to me, I believe comes from the idea that there's there's this sort of underlying idea in white America that you should be grateful that you're no longer slaves or that, you know... Or that you're just here. That you're just here, right. Which, I mean, is bullshit. Right. And it's... And that that seems to be the background of people's arguments, even though they won't say it. It's very veiled. Right. It's like with with Trump's comments, get mm-hmm. that son of a bitch off the field. Right. What he means is that there is a, a black person who is making a lot of money and that person should be playing a ball game so I can be entertained. Right. It's essentially what it comes down to. Shut up and entertain me. Right. right. <laughs> Shut up and dance. Right. There you go. Exactly. Which, it, it's it's amazing how they, oh, they're making millions of dollars. He should be. No. What does making millions of dollars have to do with having a social conscious? What does that have to do with being concerned about whether or not somebody's being struck down innocently and there's no justice when there's a 12-year-old kid playing in a park and a cop rolls up in him and within two seconds this cop has shot this 12-year-old kid? So because a person's an athlete making a multi-million dollar a year salary, they can't be upset about that that inhumane treatment that's happening to this 12-year-old kid that was shot in the street, in the, in the park playing right. innocently. You're an athlete, you have to shut the hell up and play and don't talk about that. It's it comes back to I think the idea of if you're if you're rich or poor in this country and you're if you're a citizen, you're still an American and you still have those same rights no matter how rich or poor you are. Right. It doesn't matter if you're making millions of dollars. It's like with um, there was a whole other separate issue with Jimmy Kimmel speaking out about um, the health care bill. Right. Which is going to fail, thankfully. Well, it did. Today, they, oh, today they, was, the okay. Republicans rescinded it. They rescinded it because right. there was not enough votes. Exactly. Um but, you know, a lot of people always bring that up. And obviously, like me working in entertainment, you've worked in the entertainment realm. And people were saying Jimmy Kimmel can't speak about things like healthcare because he's not qualified to do so. When the reality is he has a sick child that has had three heart surgeries. Right. And he said that it's not about him because he's Jimmy Kimmel and he can afford right. to have these heart surgeries. But there are plenty of people who cannot afford it. He is an American. He is an eligible voter. He is a taxpayer. Right. He has. He just happens to have a venue that he worked hard for, being a comic and and then being offered and then developing that show. Right. He just happens to have a venue that he can speak to a lot more people. Right. He doesn't not say that he's an entertainer and a comedian. He is. Right. But he is also first an American a voter and a taxpayer. And with those three things, he is allowed to say whatever the fuck he wants. Absolutely. And I I think it's very disingenuous 
and ill-informed on most people. A lot of these conservative policies and think tanks and the whole, they're being driven by money, by Koch brother money. You know, rich people who spend a ton of money to get this voice out here. Right. And these people who are complaining about these athletes protesting, where's the protest about this agenda that you're being fed through Fox News, through whatever sources that you have, but from the money of these billionaires that want their opinions known. They they want to, well, they are enacting policies. And, and with Citizens United, you know, allowing corporations to dump so much money in the policy-making machine. It's really, the it's, it's like George Carlin said, the real owners of this country. Right, exactly. The people that have the money are the real owners of this country, and they're keeping us split and divided by creating huge controversies out of nothing. If you don't realize or know this, you need to, as an American, go back and read the Constitution and read a history book and figure out why we ended up here and why America is how it is. You know, America began as a bunch of colonists leaving England on behalf of the king. They then didn't want to answer to a king. They didn't want to be told what to do. They wanted to worship how they wanted to worship. They didn't want to be tax without being represented they fought for these things so that we could reap the benefits of them we're losing the idea of america this is what everybody is fighting for right no one is saying that you have to kneel it's the freedom to choose to do so there you go and taking a knee is not spitting or pissing on the caskets of fallen soldiers no one ever said Fuck the military. Fuck anybody that's fighting for this country. Never has that happened. He is taking a peaceful stance to bring light to an injustice that's continuing to go on in this country. And people just keep... It's disrespecting the flag. And like Jimmy Kimmel, Kaepernick is an American. Right. He is a voter. He is a taxpayer. He can say whatever the fuck he wants to say. Because that's how this country works. Those are the things that the colonists fought for. Those are the things that you fought for and your father and my father and my grandfather and everybody that's still serving right now and everybody that's fallen. All of those people fought for this thing. And let's talk about disrespecting the flag and how disingenuous people are with regards to that. Fourth of July... Who hasn't seen napkins with flags on them? And people take these little flag napkins, wipe the dirty little mouths and crumple them up and throw them on the ground. Like, are you not disrespecting your flag? That's all part of the flag code. That's right. become a exactly. big thing. Exactly, exactly. Where people have pointed out all the things, yeah. And little they can't be little plastic flags and... On your beer cans and shit. Can. Like, come on, man. It can't be on uniforms. The right. flag is not supposed to be carried on its side. Right. Out onto the football field. So, so you get so patriotic when some rich black athletes decide that they want to protest and they're not protesting your flag. Stop that. <laughs> Stop saying that. That's not what they're protesting. They're protesting unjust killings. And in that way, by you relegating it to that, you're not paying attention. You're part of the problem. Right. You are part of the problem because you are not seeing this for what it is, but instead making it about what you want it to be about. Exactly. Which has been basically the same attitude that white people have had towards black people. Right. This entire time. They're making it about them. Right. Like they're suffering. Which takes me back to that cover photo conversation that, you know, I got into this really long debate with this guy with. It was it was so insane to me because what sparked it him dying to address this Colin Kaepernick situation and using me using the cover photo to honor my dad and remember my dad to begin this debate and you know, when we're going back and forth about it and at the end I was just like man I didn't expect this all I wanted to do was honor my dad right but yeah it's never been about that it's it's really been about 
trying to fight for lives. Let's address this. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the unjust, you know, killings and no repercussions for these killings. Let's talk about that. Let's really talk about that. But you don't want to talk about it. You want to have a straw man argument, which is basically what this is. Right. It's always It always has to be relegated to something else. Right. It's now not about the killing of unarmed black people. It's about a flag. Right. And about kneeling. People with all this racist vitriol are filling the conversation with that as a distraction from what's really happening. Right. It's to keep people fractured and split up so they can continue to pilfer this country. That's what's happening. Exactly. And the more we stay distracted and the more we we concentrate on the wrong issues, the more we're going to be a divided nation. And then another point, and let's talk about the president calling these gentlemen son of a bitch. Tell them to get that son of a bitch off the... After which he then proceeded to hump the flag, let me point out. (laughs) Which isn't disrespecting the flag at all. Not at all. His faux patriotism, all of a sudden he's become this Bible-loving patriot. Trump is for Trump. That's it. End sentence. That is so very true. And but he'll put on like, you know, he knows the base. He'll play to the base. And most politicians will play to their base. But this guy, there's nothing about what the base supposedly was supposed to represent historically. With the exception of that, unli- that underlying racism that like permeated it, which he's brought to uh, a forefront. But that guy hasn't lived. Uh, come on. Three marriages, lots of adultery, lots. I'm sure he had lots of drugs in his life. <laughs> he doesn't drink now, apparently, but <laughs> no. he sounds like he's drunk. Right. Tell me about it. But this guy, like, there's just nothing about him that's, you know, it, it's amazing to me that. There is literally zero about him that is American in any way. There's literally zero. He's right. never worked a day in his life. Right. He got all of his money from his dad. And he's basically just been a heartless prick. Right. And for evangelicals to get behind this dude, it's just baffling to me. I can go off on him for days, but there's just no point. I didn't like him before any of this presidential, uh, any of the presidential aspirations even began. I I just can't stand him as a, and I use the term loosely, human being. (laughs) Anything for his brand when you said Trump is for Trump, you know, just looking at the public persona he had. I'll tell you, I, back in the 80s, I read, oh, what was his big book? Art of the it? Deal? Yeah, the Art of the Deal. Art of the Steel? Oh, right. Only thing I remember from Art of the Deal, honestly, was him talking about if you're trying to sell your car and you don't wash it, you're a loser. <laughs> <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> because basically he was trying to clarify, like he can tell a winner, like if if you have yeah. your car out on the market and you're trying to sell it and you don't present it in the yeah. best light possible at all times, you're a loser. You're not going to be successful, basically. He says the guy can't even wear matching suits. <laughs> yeah, so these protests, I think, are the most American thing that these athletes can do. Absolutely, 100% exercise their First Amendment right. And never has it been something that's distracting except for people who choose to be distracted by it. Right. Well, everybody's always looking for, well, I shouldn't say everybody. Certain groups of people are always looking for somebody else to blame. Right. And this is the blame game. Yeah. They're, they're aimless. They're obviously hurting. And what happens is this person who is very good at manipulating people riles them up and gives them someone to blame. Right. Right. You should have your focus on this guy. He's a millionaire who is desecrating the flag. <laughs> he should be grateful. He gets millions of dollars a year to play ball. I mean, this is just, it's, it's completely absurd. And yet here we are, it's happening right every day. So yeah. And that's and that anything else is up to everyone's complaining about, you know, they're, this is turning into a, a huge ordeal, but it ultimately, it's the NFL is a private organization. It's up to the NFL to create guidelines about what they would like to do about it. The NFL is, the teams have all released statements saying they're behind it. Right. If you don't want to watch 
don't watch. Don't watch football. There's nothing mandating you to watch football. And also, let's talk about the NFL's the the catalyst. This story wouldn't even wouldn't even be a story. It wasn't until this millennium where NFL teams would even come out on the right. field with the national anthem. Yeah. It was it was 2009 they sort of required it. Right. Because of the advertising dollars spent by the military. By the military. The right. That's a fact. So, so I, I mean, before then, they were out in the field. No right. one had their hand over their heart. Right. I went back and I watched a couple of videos of people, you know, and there was a video of, I think, Selena Gomez singing at a, I believe it was a Cowboys game sometime in 2007, 2008. Okay. Um, no one had their hands over their heart either side. Right. And... They were there were people dancing around with what looked like a flag cut up into stars. So they basically like that right there is violating the flag code in about right. three different ways. Right. And no and but no one said anything in, in 2008. And it, like I said, it's it's a private organization. NFL can deal with it how they want to deal with it. If you don't want to watch, don't watch. You don't want to go to the game, don't go to the game. You want to burn your jersey, burn it. Doesn't right. matter. That's what makes America great. You yeah. can burn your jersey. Right. Feel free. And you can turn off the TV. That's it. And I can do what I've been doing. I've been supporting the boycott until you That's bring right. Colin Kaepernick into the league. I'm not watching. That's right. And I haven't really watched, but if Kaepernick gets a job, I might start. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, let's wrap it up there. That was a very uh, heavy conversation. I think I need to take a breather. <laughs> yeah. I wish, I, uh, I hope that we can all move forward soon and, and um, we, can, we can bring this country back together in some way. Yeah, and let's... We and need a win. Let's focus on the real issues. That, that's it. All right, well, that was Red All Over for the week ending September 23rd, 2017. I'm Michael Racanelli. And I'm Tony Estes. And we'll see you again soon. Bye.